You're listening to Awakening with Rabbi Ami Silver on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Ami as he shares from the wellsprings of Jewish spiritual teaching and practice and guides us on a path of healing, transformation, and awakening to experiencing the divine. We've been looking at, in the last few weeks, and uh, sort of signposts from our Chachamim of the generations that seem to point us more and more inward um, as our basic orientation to Tzila, as the, the place that we need to locate ourselves in, which, which both has to do with place, with surrounding, it both has to do with state of being, with presence, has to do with turning inward to our heart and, and basically, you know, moving in, if you will. It's like your 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 body, your heart, your mind is your home, and you got to move in and live in your home to govern from that place. And what I want to look at today is continued mikorot. Some some of which we we began to see in Derech Hamelach last week or two weeks ago. We'll pick up on some of that, but I, I want to frame tefillah um, from the mikorot of Chazal and our uh, teachers throughout the generations as really a prophetic practice. As a avoda of, of, of Naveen. And if we remember all the way back to the very first shear that we gave on Tfilah, we saw that the first time the word Lehit Palel shows up in the Torah, who remembers? First time? No. Who is it about? Let's think, who is it about? Who is the first Mit Palel in the Torah? In the Pshat of the Torah? It's Abraham Avinu. And the first time Tfilah, the word Tfilah comes up, not necessarily the first act of talking to God. The first word tefillah come, time the word tefillah comes up is when Abraham and Sarah are staying at Avimelech, Melech Gerar. And right, so Avimelech takes Sarah. God appears to Avimelech in a dream, says, I'm going to kill you if you don't return this married woman to her husband. And then Avimelech says, what, you're going to punish an innocent person? I didn't know. He told me she's his sister. And God says, Hashavet eshet ha'ish ki navihu v'itpalel ba'adcha uchyeh return the married woman because he is a prophet and he will daven for you and you will live. And we looked at the, the Chachami and we thought, well, all of a sudden, because he's a prophet, he is the one who, who davens? And um, maybe yes. <laughs> maybe yes. Um, I want to start with the Chagra and it's a Chag of Kohanim. Where the, the Kohanim make their they save the day. So I want to start with the words of a a Kohen and a modern day prophet and, and, and the words of his prophecy. This is a very small excerpt of a speech that Leonard Cohen gave in 1964 at the Symposium for English Language Jewish Writers in Montreal. And I'm just bringing one mamish couple sentences, but I, I, I recommend you look on look on YouTube and listen to what he has to say, because it's mamasha uh, words that need to be heard. And also, it's better to hear it in his voice than mine. <laughs> I'll try. He says like this. Judaism is the secretion which with which an Eastern tribe surrounded a divine irritation a direct confrontation with the absolute that happened once in history. And we still feel the warmth of that confrontation, divorced as we are from the terms of it that happened a long time ago. 
In short, what's Judaism? People surrounded this irritation, what he calls the Harsinai event, and we're, we're still being sustained. We're feeling that warmth to our, to our time, even though we're in a completely different reality. Today, we covet the pearl, but we are unwilling to support the irritation, the burning nucleus. And our spiritual life today has the exact consistency of an unclean oyster, and it stinks to heaven. We cannot face heaven. We have lost our genius for the vertical. Jewish novelists are sociologists, horizontalists, and the residue of energy left from that great vertical seizure we had 4,000 years ago, that we turned towards ourselves. We knock on our own doors and wonder that no one answers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the two are related. I think Avi's recommending we unlearn some things. So. <clears throat> one one thing here that I want to lift up, really what's at the heart here is what he says is what is Judaism? What is our culture? What is our people? What is our path? What is our, our everything? A secretion with which an Eastern tribe surrounded a divine irritation. We are a tribal people who experienced something in a direct confrontation with the absolute revelation, with the revelation of the absolute. And it's something that is unsettling and uprooting that we have built a spiritual path and culture and peoplehood around. And he's saying what we have now is we want the pearl, but we won't support the irritation. We don't want to be bothered by the confrontation anymore. We've taken the core of our identity as a people and we've made it a story about kind of common culture and he said we're knocking on our own doors and wonder why no one's there to answer because we've taken god out of the out of the out of the center the rest of the talk he gets you know he continues with masha like this um he says for example at some point he said we should put a moratorium on all religious services in synagogues until somebody reports a vision. <laughs> he says that we should, we should discard the mentality of the minion, which is meant to protect us from being annihilated in that spiritual inward isolation. He says that's not a danger anymore. We need the danger. We need to return to the wild, to the encounter. So... Dafka, he calls for a, a monastic um, option. He says, we, we can support monasteries, lives of, of um, specific devotion. He himself lived a monastic life at some, some stage in his life. Um, what I want to share here is Makarot, where I don't know if we need to live a monastic life. I think we have the opportunity to enter into a sanctum, into a temple on a daily basis. And I think that's what Tfilah is offering us. I think this is a minion maybe where that could happen also. So thank God there's minion like this. But but his his words of uh, of where we've gone off are things that we need to we need to keep hearing in our hearts. Be irritated by the divine. So I want to read you a halacha from Shulchan Aruch. This is. Allah Orachayim Siman Tsariket 
98. One who prays needs to have intention in their hearts for the meaning of the words that they let out of their lips. So you need to mean what you say. You need to have awareness of what you're talking about. And we should have an awareness as if the Shekhinah, the presence of God, is before us. So now we're already not talking about the content of the words. Right? Now we're talking about what is the general state and space and interaction that I'm speaking from. The presence is before me. And the person should remove all distracting thoughts. Until the mind and awareness are purely in the prayer. And the person should think to themselves, if I were approaching a human majesty, so I would be very careful with my words. I'd, I'd have full focus and attention and awareness to what I'm saying, to what I'm speaking before the king or the queen. All the more so before the majesty of all majesty, the Kaddish Baruch Hu, Shuhu Cholker Kol HaMachshavot, for whom all my thoughts are permeable. My, my, my entire mentality and awareness is, is, is transparent before God. What he's doing here is he's fleshing out, what does that mean? What does it mean to put myself in the state as if I'm standing before the Divine Person? It's a, that I'm aware, not only that what I say bears weight, but my entire state of awareness is now on display. I am completely exposed. Every parcel of my being is exposed here in, in God's presence. This was the practice of pious devotees, of Hasidim, the people who were intensely devoted to this path and Anshe Maase, people who people of deed Shayumit Bodidim they would meditate or they would isolate themselves whether that means physically isolate themselves we have stories of that whether that means spiritually internally isolate themselves probably means both and they would focus in their tefillah in their, and when I say in tefillah, it doesn't mean focus on the words. It means they would enter the state of kavanah, the deep state of kavanah in tefillah that he's describing. So they arrived at the unfurling of materiality, the undressing of the physical material. And to the overpowering of the 
power of awareness, so they would reach close to the point of prophecy, to the state of prophecy. So I just want to point out, he's saying here very clearly that the states of Kavanah and Tefillah are on the spectrum of the prophetic state. Yes, I have a question. Yeah. Uh, this kind of, it sounds like this is saying that Nebuah is just waiting there to be accessed mm-hmm. by anyone who can direct themselves to it. Mm-hmm. The, the Hasidim and the, the, these people who can pray and have Kavanah on this level until they reach the point that they're close to Nebuah. Mm-hmm. Does that mean Nebuah is not really something that's like, I don't know, like, what does that mean? That they come you mean, is Nebuah something we can, any any just, person can just sort of walk into that door if they get it right? Yeah. That's what you're asking? Yeah, that's what it seems to be. Like, it's a great question. It's a door behind which, if you can get to Judaism that door, Judaism is a secretion that an Eastern, with which an Eastern <laughs> tribe surrounded a divine irritation. Judaism, our religion, is born from a national prophetic experience. Um, if you take that was Matan Torah. Was Matan Torah. It's not. It's not that prophecy is in our hands necessarily. To it's not like a magical, um, a magic trick. You know, there. The question you're asking is bigger than than we can uh, really flesh out here. I'll say like a couple things that just jumped in. Okay. First of all, the Rambam and the Moran Nebuchim so it's chapters upon chapters to trying to explain and flesh out how does what are the mechanics of prophecy? How does one become a prophet? And he basically says it requires a perfection of self, of character, a the fullness of the intellect and the mind, and of divine apprehension and, and understanding truth. And then God still gets to choose. It's still a gift. But you have you you can make yourself a appropriate receptacle, and then God gets to choose anyway. We can't force prophecy. Look at the Torah. Look at the Torah. And some people are prophets. They seem to be these... Well, it's not even clear, you know. God comes and talks to Abraham. What did Abraham do before then? Not so clear. We have the stories of people who speak to God. Take someone like Moshe Rabbeinu, who had an intimate relationship with God. We can assume the prophets of the Torah developed intimacy with divine reality so that they could hear God's word. But you see, like in, uh, in Parshat Ba'alotcha, when, when Moshe passes his prophecy to the Zikanian, and then there's these two guys, Eldad and Medad, and they're prophesizing in the camp. It, like, slipped onto them. Mm-hmm. It secreted onto them. <laughs> but what were they doing? They were just in the right place at the right time. They were struck by it. And what did Mo- and Yeshua's all, you know, all bothered by it, and, and Moshe says, Everyone should be prophets. It seems that Moshe Rabbeinu's M.O., not to be confused with modern orthodoxy, his M.O. throughout the Torah is God can speak to everybody. That the prophet of all prophets is saying prophets, communication with God is meant to be for everyone. And he was extremely bothered when on our Sinai we said, Moshe, we need you to talk to us, it's too much. Um, you see later in the in the Sifrei Nevi'im, 
in Sefer Shmuel, there's like bands of prophets and prophets in training. They do things, they like do prophetic practices to reach states of prophecy, including music and dance and things like that. Um, you know, there were the, the Gemara says there were thousands upon thousands. There were there were exponentially more prophets throughout the generations for Bnei Israel than there were Miyotse Mitzrayim. It means millions of prophets over the generations, and we hear the words of the ones whose prophecy was needed for all generations. So prophecy is a form of spiritual devotion. And it's a certain kind of interaction with God that's not limited to the book of Yirmiyahu. That's called the Nebuel Dorot. That's called a prophetic message that was needed to be canonized for all generations to hear. But the contact and the, the live wire, so to speak, of prophecy rests at the heart of, of our tradition. It's a mistaken idea. I think a prophet means somebody who tells the future. That's not, that's not what Nebuel is. Nebuah is a certain kind of intimate contact with with godly reality. We'll leave it at that for now. And it is something that the Shulchan Aruch, our book of Halacha, says, Kavana in Tefillah, is on the ladder of prophetic contact with God. And the question is, what does prophecy have to do with with Tfilah. Okay, so maybe part of it is that we have to change our idea of what Nebuah is. So let's begin with that. We're not going to define it right now, but let's just name that. Okay? Nebuah then is God speaking to the people through the medium of a Navi. Perhaps. That is what the, tra- the traditional image of a, of a Navi is somebody who hears the word of God and, and communicates that. But again, that, that's a, it's a very concrete way of thinking about it. What does it mean to hear the word of God? So, Does it mean like there's like, you know, does it have to be a vision? Does it have to be, you know, like Daniel sort of writing on the walls? I mean, what does it mean that God speaks to somebody? We're not going to answer these questions, but I'm, I'm raising them because we ha- we have we tend to have a very boxed in idea of, of a Navi. Someone who tells the future, hears words, and speaks to them. The Talmudim of Rav Kook lived in Eretz Israel less than 100 years ago. The Nazir used to go spend weeks on end in caves in Midbar Yehuda to try to receive prophecy. This is something that people have been engaged in throughout time. All of the people connected with Bimuta Torah and with, with Kabbalah throughout the generations have, have either sought to access Nevoah or have been deeply invested in the project of Nevoah. So just bringing that into the conversation here that our tradition and our tefillah, again, is not the small thing that we experience it as in its um, conventional form of you do it these many times a day, you do it with these words and in this form. What, it, what our tefillah is, is the chachamim over the generations. We've, we've taken the prophetic experiences of our avot, varam Yitzchak and Yaakov, and we created structures around them for other people to be able to access it to whatever degree they can. But it's 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 conventionalizing a prophetic encounter with God. It is not divorced from the direct point of contact. I'll just read the last sentence because this is, you know, he said he used this as an illustration of what Hasim and Anshay might say. You used it. 
עד שיתפטר עד שיתפטר המחשבה When we talked about so far, if you paid attention, there are two forms of kavanah being spoken of here. One is kavanah of the words, and one is kavanah of what, what my general awareness is. My general awareness is that I'm in God's presence. That is something that we saw in earlier weeks has to do, is, is began, we start with Yechaven Libol Makom, which is bringing to awareness the presence that is here right now. That hu mekomo she'olam ve'ina olam mekomo. That the environment that I'm in, my entire encasing of reality is the divine. This is taking place in God right now. I am here in God's realm right now. And then from that ground of awareness, I'm able to have kavana on the words. The words that I say are able to carry preciousness and meaning and bear the kind of communication that he's describing here of speaking to the one before whom my entire state is permeable and transparent and can be aligned with. Now he says, if I start, if I'm distracted and if I lose my focus with, with what I'm saying, with that interaction, Oh, return to silence. I think it's very simple. Let's, let's just make it simple. We saw the basic Havana of arriving where you're going to daven before tefillah and sitting in silence. From silence... You can speak words of communication with with your creator. If you lose focus, return to silence. That's the ground kavana, from which kavana of words can 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 be born. Return to the shtika until that distraction kind of washes away. Okay. Don't think about things that are gonna lead. Don't don't Fill your mind with things that are going to start, you know, making you enter into what's called Kalut Rosh, which is the opposite of Kovid Rosh. Like the state of Kovid Rosh is that state of gravitas, of, of presence and bears weight. And that state of Kalut Rosh is, okay, I'm not really, I'm not really here, I'm not really focused. So he gives another Eitzah here of, of bringing to mind things that are going to help me cultivate that proper state of So it begs the question, what is actually happening when we daven? Or rather, what is it that we're doing when we're davening? Beyond fulfilling our chiyuvim, which we already saw in the poskim, the base level of chiyuv is questionable. Is it a mitzvah? Is it something beyond the mitzvah to daven? What does it look like to daven from... Closer to at least the place of the core of, of what Tila is it that's being described. So I want to come back and look at Derech HaMelech Parshat Reishi with you. This is something we began in our last year. I realize I brought more Mekorot than we're going to look at today. So we're going to look in this week and next week, likely, into Mekorot um, from the PSS and the Rebbe, specifically about Tfila. And uh, this one we'll look at today makes specific reference to some of the Mekorot we've been looking at. So if you remember, I'll just refresh us, it's been two weeks, in Derech HaMelech Parsha Breshit, what the Rebbe is doing is describing that basically at core, all of our midot and all of our experiences even are rooted in, in the divine midot and in, in godliness. This is a 
he's not making this up. These are you know, earlier precedents that, that are midot, are embodied traits, are, are variations of the spirot. We're created with Semalokim. We bear the same dimensions of the dimensionality of God that we know. However, we get to play around with filters and, uh, and like a, a color palette, you know. We live our lives and experiences, and those create the lenses through which we process and, and, and make sense of our experiences. So depending on my filters, how I'm taking in what I'm experiencing, it's going to look more or less godly to me. It's going to be more revealed as something of a, of a divine encounter or something completely not divine. We get a, a, a almost infinite range of Bechira as, as, as creatures here. And what the Rebbe's developing in this drasha is a path of opening ourselves more to being aware to the root stirrings within us to be able to actually experience something more godly in our human experience. Okay? Um, let's just jump in right here. He says, Our entire ability, our capability to pray at all is founded on the fact that God is always within us. Right? That we are not separate from God. I mean, because how else would some separate entity just sort of talk to something completely separate and beyond? When a person comes to pray, they need to first uncover, reveal within themselves the quality of shechina, of divine presence, that has descended upon us in our exile. Mechazal says, in every place that we are exiled, the Shekhinah goes with us into exile. It's not that God is not with us. It's that God is exiled with us. And when God is exiled, that means that God doesn't look like God at first glance. It's like unrecognizable. Well, our work before we pray, our work to enter prayer, is to uncover, oh, God is here with me. The Shekhinah who's here in exile with me. What it means for God to be in exile is that means that God is with us even when we are distant from a revealed state of, of encounter and even when God is not in a revealed state. Right? The Beit HaMikdash was a place of revelation. Khurban is a state of, of hiddenness, of concealment, of non-revelation. To the point where it looks like actually God left. But the what the Rebbe is saying here is that no, the Shekhinah is with us in exile. Our job is to, to find her. She's also within each one of us. She's covered over in clothing. She's enclosed, <coughs> disguised. And the, the person who comes to Davin, our project, our, our avoda, is to bring her out, to lift the Shechina out, to uncover and reveal her in our prayer. As it says in Tehillim, I call God from the depths. We'll see how he translates those words in a moment. I love when what we're learning is, is in our Parsha. It says that uh, when Paro you know, needed a dream interpreted, 
He called Yosef and he rushed him from within the pit. Ken kore ani et Hashem. So too, I need to call out Hashem out of the pit of darkness, out of the imprisonment. I need to rush God out from deep within me. What does it mean? It means, God, I'm calling to you to rise from my own depths. To uncover yourself from within me, through me. From my depths, the depths of my being, I'm calling you to come out, God. I'm calling you, arise. It's not, I'm in a deep place of crisis. God, please help me. It's you, God, are buried deep within me. I'm calling on you to uncover yourself, to be revealed within me, in my depths. And now, with with what do I pray to God? With that godliness that I've uncovered in my very being. This is all Chazara from our last year, but we can't Chazara these words enough times. Mamish. Then, the Tfilah that a person prays is like the Kedusha Slevi explains what the Yitzchak Mubridichu says when God reveals the Yirgamumil Torachamim, Vayikra Hashem, Hashem Torachum Luchanun, Hashem was showing to Moshe. Real prayer is God calling to God. Hashem, Hashem. God is calling God in prayer. That our engagement in prayer, in the way that he's describing, is the godliness, that divine presence, contact, essence that I've uncovered within myself, that ground of my existence calling out to the divine beyond me. It's a conversation between God and God, that I am facilitating and evoking and immersed in. Does it sound fantastical and supernatural? Does it sound like something like, okay, I think I can have a sense of what he's saying? I'm asking you guys, like, is this, is this just so far afield from our experience of prayer? It's heavy, it's heavy stuff for sure. It's powerful for sure. But change in paradigm. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a paradigm shift. Even if we just start with it as a paradigm shift, we can use it as a frame to begin to, to, to reorient ourselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm coming to Davinow. What is this? Where do I place myself? Where, where am I looking? Am I... Looking at my sitter and like, I think I have some kind of like great microphone to call out to the great mighty God. Am I looking inward to find God here with me, me here within God, and to open up the voice of the Shekhinah from where I am right now? This, to me, is an expression of all the things we've been seeing in the Gemara, the Mishnah, the Shukhanach, and the Paskin. Yechavenli Bolamakom. If there's a distracting thought, it takes you away from that awareness. Return to the silence. Return to that connection with the ground of being and presence. Prayer takes place in this. It's the, it's that presence that that forms the ability for us to now interact and dialogue 
with God. When I say with God, I mean mamash together with God. I'm not praying to God, I'm praying with God. I gotta say, you know, as I'm saying this, even the word God becomes something we need to paradigm shift around. Because we're not talking about some independent other being somewhere else. We're talking about an all-encompassing reality and constant being that we are participant in. We're not praying to some God out there. We are engaging in divine reality in a deep way. Am I speaking to something inside of me? Am I speaking to something outside of me? We're so used to praying outwardly, right? Yes. Our prayer is directed outward. However, the word, the hitpalel, is an inward, it's a reflexive verb. It's something being taking place inwardly. It's something we are doing within ourselves. What the Rebbe is describing here is something that transcends the dichotomy between inward and outward. Where it's taking place is inward. For me to really pray, it is taking place within myself. The contact that he's describing of Ve'ikra Hashem Hashem is, that is my avoda and tefillah, is to elicit and evoke godliness from within myself. To contact the godliness inside of myself and speak with it. Again, speaking with is, is, is very, in Hebrew works better. Im, because because in English, to speak with is still to converse with an other. But speaking with is it's it's a it's a joining, it's a joining in prayer. And that joining immediately makes it something that's not limited to a small my small self definition. It's something where where the divine within me is part of that divine that's that's totally infinite and, and permeates all. And I'm. Again, I'm facilitating, I'm, I'm the mouthpiece of that conversation in this moment. And, and this is not what you're saying, you know, but can you help me to clarify, I guess, a little bit like, you know, when the serpent says, hey, you eat this, like, you could be like God, right? So, like, there's, you know, an, an existing, like, Yetzirah for a person to want to have control and just say, hey, like, you know, I, 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 could, be, I could be my own God, right? So yeah. this concept of speaking to the divine within a person, mm-hmm. um, you know, could very easily cross over into a Are there risks involved? There's risks involved. Are there risks involved in the alternative? There are risks involved in the alternative. Right? That's what Leonard Cohen was saying. We're not afraid anymore. We don't need a we don't need to protect people anymore from going off the deep end because the deep end is so foreign to us that we need a little more of that. I'm not I'm hesitant to say it should be this way, it should be that way. I think this is this is a path of a Bodha that, that we we embark upon and, and we we're all responsible ultimately for our own checks and balances, you know? We need to walk uh, with humility and, uh, and honesty and, and truth. Are there risks involved? There's risks involved. But there's risks the, there's great risks involved by ignoring it also. I think so I mean it's like how do you differentiate between like praying to myself really versus like actually having a divine communication? Yeah. Nobody can really tell you 
what's real and what's not. Okay. Right? Um, there are writings about what you're asking. You know, what side of the side of the, the dividing line are you on given the, the kind of experience? It's it's less it's less what our literature is filled with, you know? Like there's less of this degree of close up practical guidance, but there is there is what to explore there. Not for now, okay? But I the risk factor is, is involved for sure. So let's let's read on it, okay? Whatever he says and before tefillah, person needs to remove themselves from the world. And bring to mind that they are now coming close, bringing themselves in, in an intimate dialogue to speak with God, as it were. Now we appreciate that Tzmo Mina Olam. Well, speak a little bit more. She'ono, it's like the humdrum of the world. What does it mean, Afrishat Tzmi Mina Olam? It's a little what the Shulchan Aruch is talking about. I have to clear my clear out my thoughts from these incessant things of I need to run these errands today and pay my electric bill, and this is my... Like, that is what we carry in our awareness all day, and when that... To, to, in order to pray with kavanah, we have to clear out our awareness. We have to let that sort of wash out, and that's what the silence before prayer is about. But the Rebbe says something diff- a little bit different. He takes it further. He says, when a person is able to make some space between themselves and all of those concerns... So then what happens? Right, we said, the Rebbe was saying that God is with us always. We are always in divine reality. We're always experiencing divine experience. We just don't perceive it. Because it's covered with all of the clothing that we put on it. So he says, when I, when I can take those clothes off, as it were, remove those distractions from my awareness. So the chelek elukut, that divine portion that is enclosed within my energies, my capabilities, within my thoughts and my awareness, within all my desires and all my actions, all day long, what is the story I'm telling myself? The story I'm telling myself is a story that doesn't involve God. It's a story about running errands, doing my job, paying bills, waking up, feeling lousy about myself, feeling good about myself, whatever it is. It's about it's about a purely, um, in Leonard Cohen's words, horizontal reality. I don't think, I don't like that binary either between horizontal and vertical, but let's say just for illustration's sake. So, but what happens? All of those divine qualities are still alive in me. They're just not filled with with the clothing that, that disguise them. And then with Chofim, all of that, those kachot inside of me, they they change form. To the degree to which I can clear out myself and bring myself close to divine reality, to that degree, my kachot, my awarenesses, my emotions, my 
sensations, my energies are going to be more transparently divine energies. God will be active, uncovered through me, through my experience in, in prayer. Now, lest you think this is something that is like a quietest, passive kind of state, there he says this in Tfilah, so this is before Tfilah, is the kind of clearing out. And in Tfilah itself, we have to engage all of our energies, all of our koach, for abundant love and awe and, and emotionality to be unleashed. And, and in, in a general sense, for all of our physical energy to be, to be brought into this service. For Pizas, throughout his writings, it's very important that we incorporate all of our all the parts of our being, the mind, the emotions, and the body itself. Right? The Gemara talks about the, the power of somebody who says amen with all of their koach. It's important to use what your kochot that you have because your kochot are those divine instruments. These are the, the avenues, the pathways through which the Shekhinah is going to speak in this moment. So I, I, I skipped a bit of, uh, of in between. It's a long gasha. Um, I'm going to continue with the, the next okay. page. And then a peel, basically. We have to unpeel the, the coverings. To get to the core. It's a nice masha. We have to un- unpeel. Unpeel to get to the fruit. And the thing is that the fruit, we then, we bite it, we taste it, we smell it, we smile because we enjoy it. You know, it's, it's good to you. <laughs> <laughs> but we engage in it in, to, the full, to the fullness of the experience. And he says he's now bringing a Kabbalistic framework for this. Tzvilat Amida, Tzvilat Shmuras, is something that, that reaches to the state of Atzilut, to the most intimate contact uh, in the divine realm. V'tzarich gam hu. How is a person supposed to properly engage in tefillah, which is this, you know, Gemara said, it's something that stands at the apex of reality, something that's, that's, that's that close to God. To get there, we arise to the quality of atzilut within ourselves. Another important yisod here. These, the, all the talk of, you know, divine realms and olamot and all the things, these aren't things that exist somewhere over the rainbow. They are states of reality that we too are not only given access to, but we're actually composed of these same very qualities. So we have a Natsilut within ourselves. That is the place where we contact Tila that can that can reach this point. What is Atilut? Atilut is the divine realm that comes before Bri'a, become it comes before worlds, it comes before separate entities. Once you're in Bri'a, you're in something that's separate. The word bar, which is the core root of bara, means outside. That's the place where there's a dividing line 
only so to speak, but at least in perception, the dividing line between the divine source and reality. In Atzilut, there's no dividing line. God's being and life force and expression, it's all within a unified state. So bar means outside? Bar means outside. So bar mitzvah means outside? A child is a bar because it's something that grows out from us. A child is an outgrowth. But what is the absolute inside of me? It's It's an awakening. Again, it's something that we can experience through every side. An awakening, an arousal, a divine irritation. <coughs> it's something that is not bound or confined to all of these world-based perceptions that we carry around. We also exist on a plane beyond rigid and narrow material definitions of ourselves. That is only a certain degree of, of self-definition. This is, I think, what the, what the Shulchan Aruch is describing as Hitpashtut HaGashmiut. Hitpashtut HaGashmiut means unclothing the materiality. Does it mean I'm not here anymore? It doesn't mean I'm not here anymore. But it means that the garments of self-definition and even of the definition of my space and, and physical world aren't so rigid and concrete anymore, you know? We have a good mashal in modern science. What if you had a super microscope that was looking at everything in the world? You would not see concrete, separate shapes and entities. You would see the same molecular energy just filling everything and interacting. If all of my arousal in prayer, all of the only things that can energize my tefillah are the words of tefillah. If I can only care and get aroused by the words of tefillah, but I cannot go beyond them, right? Where someone's getting a place beyond words and language even. And, and the only uncovering of self that I engage in in tefillah is bound to my asking for my needs, which is a world-defined, a world-bound conception of self. Even though that too is tefillah, you're davening, you're all right. Where did your tefillah remain? Your tefillah remained in the worlds, in Bria Yetzir and Asiya, in the worlds that are still a step removed from divine reality. And for this purpose, we have Psukid Zimra. We open with songs. To speak the praises of God, to be aroused and excited and moved by God's reality in this world, <clears throat> and to be aroused by that and awakened. The early Hasidim would sit in silence and meditate for an hour before davening, to become, to get themselves aroused beyond speech, beyond all words beyond all confined 
definition itself of God of being. And afterwards, when they would then speak words from first cultivating that state, the image here is that they would bring themselves to the point of atzilut in their own being, to the encounter with divine reality beyond worldly definition, to that part of myself that exists beyond words and beyond my worldly definition and conception of self. And from that state, the words that I speak are not directed upward and outward, but in the Kabbalistic um, map and structure of Tila, it is bringing down Shefa. It is dripping from the divine into worldly reality. It is arousing from that state of closeness together with God, love, awe, tiferet, the, the svirot, and the, these Emotional arousal in tefillah is not something separate that's happening in me. It's an arousal of the divine midot. It's the svirot of God pouring out shefa into this world. So he's describing here people who are engaging in tefillah in a way where their own emotional rea- reality and, and arousal in tefillah in words and in speech and in care for the world is actually bringing more of that divine arousal into the worldly realms. You know, Chazal says there's a machloket in Gemari Yavamos. One opinion is when you daven, you have to look to heaven. Sorry. You know, yeah, one daven, you look up to heaven. And the other is when you daven, you look down at the, at the earth. It's a machloket. And then there's another memra which says, no, my Rebbe taught me that when you daven, your heart should be in heaven and your eyes should be on the earth. Your heart is in heaven and your eyes are on the earth. What the Rebbe is saying here is our tefillah does, no, doesn't, not, doesn't change. We're not no longer davening about healing and parnasa and freedom and justice and geula. We're still davening for the world. But from what point, from what vantage point are we davening? The, the, the heart is in heaven. The, the state of being is in a divine place, looking to this world and, and participating in bringing more of that redemptive quality of a revealed divine reality in worldly realms. That is tefillah. It's even bringing from the divine realm into the words of tefillah for needs of this world. Because it's bringing, it's illuminating the world with the world and saturating with, with, with divine light and divine shefa into all of those really worldly, really human, really material needs. It's you uniting them and joining them with the all that they are part of. He's saying maybe this too is an etza because right now he's talking about Hasidim Arishonim. He's talking about those, you know, admirable models of, of intense spiritual devotion. He says it's possible we can also take some advice here. Or maybe this is advice for us. How can I arrive at a kind of arousal 
a kind of uncovering of the chelik elukut, that quality of divinity within myself that is not <clears throat> caused merely by how much I need my next paycheck or how much I need something else. Because the Rebbe is saying, I can reveal real care and that, that divine energy in me can be unleashed through those needs. They surely can, but they're limited. How do I get to a more unlimited space, a less balanced space? Even beyond speech and worldly terms and terminology. The simple practice to enter into silence before Davin. To dwell in silence before Tefillah and immerse my awareness into that silent presence. Because of everything we've spoken to now. Every Ish Yisrael, he's, he's, what he says consistently in his teaching, by definition, our souls are saturated by, by the divine. That is what they are. And in all of our matters, there is Chalak Elokut. There is divinity. But we are habituated to hiding and concealing the divine pulsing life within all of our experiences with our own thoughts and our own wantings and inyanim, our matters, our inyanim. I got stuff to take care of. I do have stuff to take care of. And that covers over what's beneath it all. If a person were to pause for an hour, for enough time, the entire incessant stream of thoughts and wantings, this is answering your question, Michal. Does he think we can do this? He's trying to give us an answer. If I can sit long enough to let that incessant stream of thinking and wanting and, and, and trying to figure calculations just sort of quiet and wash away, the chilek elukut will appear within me without garment. This is what it looks like to take off the garments. The chilek elukut is the awareness, the vital pulsing life that streams through me and sustains me in every micro moment. In always, in all forms of my being. And if I can let the clothes dissipate, so the Chalak Elokut is here present for me. But it's, it's because we're always chasing after our thoughts. What am I going to do tomorrow? I'm going to earn a living. How can I build my self-esteem? How can I get people to think better about me? <clears throat> so it causes our thoughts to just be a whirlwind. They never stop. He says, this is what the Mishnah is hinting at. I think it's Pergavos that says, do tshuva for one, one day of tshuva before, before you die. What is the Mishnah telling us? Bring your, cultivate a state of mind that I don't have tomorrow. Don't think about tomorrow. Don't let my 
Don't let these distracting, torrentious thoughts just kill me. Because they define the state of my being. They define my experience of my life. And in this way, they're defining my life in a in an experience that, or a perceived experience that's separate from God. And separate from the divine reality. This is what it means in the Mishnah. They would pause, they would sit, they would meditate for an hour before davening. Shohim. It's pausing, being present, and standing still there in a state of awareness. In a state of where where thought, awareness, perception are still there. But they're not filled by all that stuff. Then, and this is the beautiful thing that Rabbi is saying, it's not about separating myself and remaining separate. My thoughts, feelings, and sensations and experiences will then be colored by divine reality. They will be the communication with God. They will be the dialogue. It's not this the kind of thing he's speaking about is not something that where my subjective inner experience is separate from something divine and holy. Adarab, the grounds for this divine revelation to take place is within myself, is within my own state of awareness, feeling, emotion, body strength, energy, all the things he's been describing. But it can be colored very non-godly, and it can be colored more godly. And the Rebbe's laying out here a perspective to guide us towards letting our experiences be colored more godly. I think it's not crazy reading this, how we can see that the Shulchan Aruch is stating that people used to dub into a state where they were close to Nebuah. Because Nebuah is, however one define it, and we don't really know how to define it, but it's it's a state of being saturated by by divine experience. And the words of Nevi'im are people communicated that experience to other people. But it doesn't mean they're the, only, they're the only ones who experienced it. And it doesn't mean that what they experienced is words that were written on a page. They were saturated with divine experience within themselves, and they shared it. And the Rebbe saying that Tefillah is to immerse ourselves in divine experience, is to clear the ground within ourselves, to have that open field of present awareness, and for the, really the words of Tvila and the forms of Tvila become nothing more than basically a language that's meant to be a carrier of that experience. The words are meant to elicit and allow us to let more of that take place within ourselves. So as much as we are saying the words of Tefillah, we need to be hearing and listening to the words of Tefillah. What does it mean, Yechaven Perush Say, Baruch, Baruch, okay, blessed, Baruch. No. If we're, if we're diving in the way that these Mekarat are teaching, we're in a state of an awareness of, I'm in God's presence. And when I say Baruch, the Baruch quality of God is being aroused within me, and I'm saying it, I'm being awakened by it, I'm letting it touch me. And soaking that in that, basking in that, 
then I can say Ata. And I can direct that same experience to a you. A nameless, expansive you. And now that same very experience becomes identified with some infinite identity that I'm addressing. Havaya. Now I name that. And I'm experiencing now shifting from one word to the next is bringing me into different qualities of encountering something present, alive, and divine. Many of these recordings are from Rabbi Ami's ongoing weekly classes given at Yeshivat Sharei Shalom in Jerusalem. For more information, go to shalom.org.il forward slash about. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Rav Daniel Kohn. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.